All right. What a great group of kids. I think uh, half the church. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> like, it's awesome. We love, we love what our kids are learning. And uh, we just, we pray that God moves powerfully, both here in what uh, we call in student ministry, big church, and in little church as well. Well, I'm excited about today and uh, the message that God has for us. Start with this. Every four years in Washington, D.C., on January 20th in front of the U.S. Capitol, we inaugurate the next president of the United States. So everybody can relax. This isn't a political so just, just go with me a little bit. Um, there's a lot of tension around the inauguration. Sharply at 12 noon, the president-elect gets sworn in, and then he addresses both the crowd and the nation in his inaugural speech. And some of the most famous words ever spoken in American history have come from some of these inaugural addresses. So, so if, if you'll go with me this morning, uh, I'm going to share a line from an inaugural address and see if you can tell me who said this. First one. See if you can guess this one. My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Who said this? Help me out. Yeah, that's right. John F. Kennedy said these famous... Did I say that right? John F. Kennedy? Okay. John F. Kennedy said these famous words in his inaugural address on January 20th, 1961. Let's try another one. Maybe just a little bit harder. Not really, though. But who said this? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Who said that? That's right. Which one? (laughs) Uh, So this famous line came from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. In the 1933 inaugural address. Both those came from an inaugural address. And there's another great story. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of William Henry Harrison. He happened to also be a president. Uh, he, uh, there's a great story about his inaugural address. The day of the address, there was like a blizzard outside. It was really cold. And everybody kept telling William Henry Harrison, no, come in. Do this inside. He didn't. Uh, he decided that he would get inaugurated outside in the freezing weather, and uh, he gave what became the longest inaugural address in the history of America to this day. It was two hours long. Don't worry, I'll be just a little under two hours this morning. Uh, and uh, like I said, the, it, was, it was chilly, and uh, he did this whole two-hour inaugural address without any coat or hat, And don't you remember all of our moms telling us if we don't go, you know, if we go outside, we need to wear a coat and a hat. Otherwise, we'll catch a cold. Sure enough, he catches a cold and dies. True true story. So uh, don't ever give a two-hour-long speech outside in the freezing weather. He actually holds, William Henry Harrison holds the unfortunate distinction of being the first president to die in office after 28 days. Inaugural addresses. What's the point of an inaugural address? This speech gives the new president a a, a center stage opportunity to introduce himself and his vision to both the nation and the world. It's a big moment. And just like these presidents, Jesus would take a moment and he would come center stage in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he would inaugurate his public ministry with a short, powerful, memorable speech. And he quotes from Isaiah 61. 
Jesus felt like Isaiah 61 best summarized who he was and what he came to do. You can't understand Jesus if you don't understand Isaiah 61. We want to look at Isaiah 61 today. If you have your Bible, go ahead, open it up to Isaiah 61. We'll put it up on the screen. We're in a series here at Hope on the book of Isaiah. And you won't believe this, we have just four weeks left. There is actually an end point to this series. And uh, we'll end the Sunday before Father's Day. On Father's Day, uh, Chick Wasson, one of our founders, will be here to deliver a message. You won't want to miss that. It'll be an incredible morning. Looking forward to that. But today we're in Isaiah 61. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 the moment he inaugurates his public ministry. So if we want to understand Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, how he can change our life, we need to listen to this powerful passage. Jesus has good news. Anybody use some good news today? Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, this is what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. All right, this is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, uh, to connect with you. Maybe it's watching on the live stream. But we love your presence. We honor you today. We invite you to speak powerfully through your word. And I pray that you would lift our hearts up with the good news of Jesus Christ. Here from Isaiah 61. Thanks for your word. Thanks for church family. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Isaiah 61 helps us understand Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, how he changes our life. We'll see three things. First of all, we hear Jesus. We hear Jesus. And you need to see Jesus speaking in this passage this morning from Isaiah 61. And uh, even here in the very first verse, uh, verse 1, if we can put that up, uh, something beautiful emerges. And, and I don't know if you caught this, but, but right here in the first verse, we actually have the Trinity. You see that this morning? Verse 1 says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And God has revealed himself in the Old and New Testament as one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like a pretzel with three holes. The first hole isn't the second hole, the second hole isn't the third hole, but same dough holds it all together. A little illustration there. But if you take a look at the first verse, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. You have the Spirit. That's God the Holy Spirit. And then comes the Sovereign Lord. This is God the Father. And then finally, it says, is on me. And who is the me? Jesus. 
Uh, it's Jesus, who we call God the Son. But how do we connect the me with Jesus? How do we know the me is Jesus? And that's a great question. I just want to start with the passage itself. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, a voice says in Isaiah, because the Lord has anointed me. From this Hebrew word anointed is where we get the word for the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. And God will anoint his Messiah, this special figure proclaimed throughout the Old Testament. He will come in the power of the Holy Spirit. We read this way back, and we have in Isaiah chapter 11. I hope you see the connection here. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. This is the Messiah again, this, this shoot, the branch. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Look at this again. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Messiah shows up again and again. Not only throughout the Old Testament, but particularly in Isaiah. We see the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 7. God with us. You remember that? God with us. And then in chapter 9, a child will be born. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, El Gabor. It says the government will rest on his shoulders. He will reign forever and ever. And here in 11, we have this, this branch of David who will be the banner for the nation. So the Messiah is both the king of the world and the savior of the world. And then in Isaiah 53, the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead so that he might inaugurate this year of the Lord's favor we read about in Isaiah 61. So Isaiah 61 is all about the Messiah. But check this out. I want to get to Jesus. When Jesus inaugurates his public ministry... He quotes Isaiah 61 and applies it to himself. Now, this is profound. Uh, you can keep your finger in Isaiah 61, and we'll head to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized by John. The heaven opened, and the Spirit of God comes down in bodily form like a dove. You have the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased once again, we have all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like we have in Isaiah 61. After being baptized and then tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus returns in the power of the Holy Spirit to Nazareth, which for Jesus is home. And this is what the Gospel of Luke says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 11, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Jesus was raised in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So it's a good habit of coming to the house of the Lord. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to set the free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 61. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Bam! Mic drop. Everybody sat there in silence. Stunned by what Jesus had just said. They know Jesus. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? He'd grown up in that synagogue. He played kick the can out in the street. Jesus comes up, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he deliberately finds Isaiah 61 and says, this is fulfilled in me. People get so angry, you got to read it. They try to throw him off a cliff. Why? Because Jesus has just said, I'm the Messiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And that passage you've been reading for about the last 700 years, that was all about me. See, you can't make Jesus ordinary. He doesn't give us that option. He could be a liar, deceiving people. He could be a lunatic, a crazy person, if that's who Jesus is, let's throw him off a cliff. But if Jesus isn't a liar, and if he isn't a lunatic, there is only one other option. Jesus is who he claimed to be, our Lord and our God. He is the promised Messiah, our Redeemer, and the King and Savior of the world. And to him we must all answer Life's most important question, which Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Do you know him? Do you love him? He is not ordinary. No, he, he tells us in the most spectacular way, by quoting Isaiah 61, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see right here in, in Isaiah 61, we hear Jesus. I love testimony this morning someone said I'm reading my Old Testament and I'm looking for Jesus and that's awesome because he's all over the Old Testament every story whispers his name we hear Jesus number two we hear good news we hear good news I love this not only do we learn who Jesus is in Isaiah 61 but we see what Jesus came to do Jesus came to proclaim good news Isaiah 61 1 the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Now, did Jesus do this? Did he proclaim good news? You bet he did. And here's just one example, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's good news. Anyone need some good news? I love good news. Good news, parents, is when you go to pick up your kids and an adult tells you not 
what your child did, but like praises them for what your child did. Like that's good news. Good news, students. It's coming to the end of your semester and bringing home a report card with A's and B's. Wouldn't that be good news? And you're like, yeah, that would be good news. Love that. You know what good news is? After you order that package, coming home and seeing your packages just laying there on the front door waiting to be opened. I love that. Love good news. Well, I'm here to tell you today in Jesus Christ, we have good news. We have wonderful news. We have exciting news. I, when, I, when I was 17 years old, I, I didn't have God in my life. And then I heard the gospel. I heard the good news of Jesus Christ that, that my sins, which separated me from God, could be forgiven. I could have a new relationship with God. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ. He came into my life. It changed my life. I, I don't know how I live my life without Jesus. Because Jesus is the best news of our lives. And it's not just because of what he did, which is amazing. He went to the cross, but it's also because of what he continues to do. As we sang, because he lives. And because he lives in me, I have a testimony, not just of what he did then, but what he continues to do in my life. We have good news. Listen to how Isaiah describes the good news of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61. I want to walk through this. Good news here today. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Is there anyone brokenhearted that you know? A family member. Maybe you're here today and you're brokenhearted. And we go through some of the hurts of life. I love Psalm 34, 18. What a beautiful promise. If your heart breaks, the psalm says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And He saves the crushed in spirit. I want you to know today when your heart breaks, you can give it to Jesus. He binds it up. He heals the broken heart. The passage continues, good news to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. God made us for freedom. For freedom He set you free. The world tells us to define freedom as doing whatever we want to do. But what if that definition of freedom is actually slavery? It's my life. I become enslaved to myself, to me, in ways that harms my relationships with others. We become enslaved to addictions and, and negative behaviors. We become enslaved to a life that doesn't satisfy. And Jesus says, I came to set you free. Love it. See, the freedom God gives us is real freedom. It's inside freedom to love others, to embrace our responsibilities, to become the people God created us to be. It's for freedom Christ set us free. What a powerful example we get in the next verse. This good news of freedom. When it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's the year of the Lord's favor? It goes back... Uh, to the year of Jubilee mentioned in Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25, it's on the Liberty Bell. Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to the world thereof. In the Old Testament, every 50th year, a trumpet was blown and liberty proclaimed throughout the land. If you had debts, they were gone. 
So let's just imagine that. Anybody here be jumping for joy? Just, that's gone? Absolutely. Freedom, right? Freedom. If you were enslaved, you would go free. This eternal jubilee is what Jesus came to give to you and to me. He came to set us free. He saves us. He sets us free. Now, this is interesting. Luke chapter 4, Jesus ends his, his inaugural speech right here. He proclaims the year of, of the Lord's favor, and he closes the book, and he sits down, and he says, and what it says here? Fulfilled in me. He doesn't read this next line. What is the next line? A day of vengeance for our God. Isn't that interesting? What's that about? Why did Jesus stop at the year of the Lord's favor and not proclaim the day of vengeance? Well, that's because the first coming of Jesus was not to judge the world, but to save the world, right? And sinners through him. He, he goes all the way to a cross so he can save us. But guys, not so with the second coming. The second coming, Jesus comes not to save, but to judge. And this is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, you can be saved by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Don't wait another day. We only are guaranteed today. Today is the day of salvation. And a day will come, a day of vengeance for our God. We have a message on that coming up in a few weeks. But notice, it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the day of vengeance. Judgment is not what is God's heart for you today. And you can trust in Jesus, and he will save you, just like he saved me. Last one, to comfort all who mourn. More good news. Comfort for the mourning. Now, Jesus picks up this line in the Beatitudes. You remember that? And he says, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. But I want you to look at this scripture in its whole. Why is there so much focus on the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, those who mourn? Why does Jesus seem to focus on those? And, and I think... Each of these gives us a different angle at how all of us are in a state today of needing Jesus. Every one of us has incompleteness before God. And the recognition of that incompleteness is something that the Bible calls poor in spirit. What's the opposite of poor in spirit? Proud in spirit. I don't need Jesus. I don't, need, I don't need this. And the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. See, Jesus came for the poor in spirit who recognize, I need Jesus. I depend on him. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm not too proud today to say that. I'm so thankful for him. I need to turn to him so the blessings of the gospel flow into my life. What do we hear? Number one, we hear Jesus... Number two, we hear good news. Last one. Number three, we hear our testimony. We hear our testimony. I love this. Every believer in Jesus has a testimony. I met Jesus when I was 17 years old. I have a testimony. 
And you're trusting in Jesus Christ today. You have a testimony. What's a testimony? Testimony is the amazing story of what God has done for us. And sometimes we hear those radical testimonies. How God turned somebody's life around and, and somebody went from drugs to Jesus. You ever heard that one? And maybe you grew up in the church, you grew up in a Christian home, and you're, you're hearing that testimony of, oh, I went from drugs to Jesus. You're like, wow, that's an amazing testimony. I really don't have a testimony. I really don't have a story. Did student ministry for 10 years. And kids who've grown up in the church thinking, wow, you know, what? My, you know how my testimony starts? I grew up in a Christian home. What kind of testimony is that? And so many Christians maybe don't even know when they gave their life to Jesus Christ. And so you don't realize you have a stunning testimony. Right? Just to have faith is a miracle. So don't think you have to have some grand story here today. Because the only way, like it's only God who could have changed you from who you were to who you are today. You have a testimony. It's so powerful. And, and my prayer for my kids, you know, you know the testimony I want for my kids I grew up in a Christian home, and I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Would you pray that for my kids, and I'll pray that for kid, your kids and your grandkids? That is, the, that is a powerful, powerful testimony. We don't take for granted the grace of God. What a powerful God. And everybody has a story. Another thing I've learned about following Jesus is we all love the testimony, don't we? Love the testimony. Man, look what God did. But just, just for the sake of understanding, the first part of the word testimony is, is what word again? Test, right? See, nobody ever had a testimony that never went through a test. And maybe today, God has put you in a test in your job. Or maybe today, God's put you in a test with your health. Maybe today, you're in a test in a relationship, or, or you're in a, you can literally taking tests. It's the end of the school year, and this is the test. Why does God allow us to go through the test? Because, because he wants your test to become your testimony. Isaiah 61, we hear words of a testimony. This is what God can do in our life. Isaiah 61, 3, I love this. God sent Jesus to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God's with you, my friend. And he turns our tests into testimonies. Joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm with other people who don't share my faith, I love to give a little praise God every now and then. Just watch their eyes pop out of their head. You know what I'm talking about? And God gives us opportunities all the time to just, hey, that's amazing. Look what God did. I just want to shine a light today on what God did. The psalmist tells us, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And it says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, don't be afraid to give God a little hallelujah out there in the workplace or in the school or wherever you're at. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. And believe that as God has made a difference in your life, he's going to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. 
close here with a blessing. Isaiah 63 wraps up by saying, I love this. This is, this is us, church. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love that. Planting of the Lord. Why? For the display of his glory. He's planted you. He's changing your life. You're growing in the Lord. So rise up today, mighty oak. Stand in the strength and righteousness of our God. He, is, he has not planted you for no reason. He's planted you for a huge reason. For the display of his glory in the world today. So I bless you this week. Mighty oaks shine bright for Jesus Christ. But we want to give some praise to Jesus. So Isaiah 61, powerful passage. We hear three things. We hear Jesus. We hear good news. And we hear our testimony. So today we want to close our time by coming to the table of the Lord. And I'm going to invite Max and the team to come up as we, as we wrap up. If you'll, if you'll get your communion elements... So Jesus gave us this meal for those who are his followers. And so anybody who's here today who's, who's made a commitment to the Lord, I want to invite you to take communion. And maybe you're, you're here today, you're not there yet, or you're younger. I want to invite you to wait. Have first communion when it means something to you, when it's real, when it's genuine. But guys, we believe this this bread and this cup is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both his death and his resurrection. The wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus poured out for our sins. The bread, his broken body. The gospel proclaimed to us today. We believe that the risen Jesus Christ is present with us in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. So he is here. And he is turning our mourning into dancing. He's turning the ashes into glory. He's doing that in this place, in this morning. He's here with you. And so we come. We come humbly, right? God, I'm incomplete without you. The Bible talks about taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And that just means coming humbly, confessing our sins, thanking Jesus for the cross. And what I want to do this morning is, is before, we, before we say those, those communion words that we always say, I want to invite you to take a moment. And in your own words, as you, as you hold the cup and as you hold the bread, to begin to pray, and to humbly confess your sin and and express gratitude for the grace of God and how He's working in your life. Maybe you have a prayer this morning. A great moment just to express our prayer to the Lord. I'll give you a couple of minutes to meet with Jesus and, and then we'll take this all together.